All right, welcome back to Functional Observations, a podcast for a dysfunctional world. Uh, we are your hosts, Anthony Donald and Donald Anthony. I'm Anthony Donald. I'm Donald Anthony. All right, we're back for episode five this week after the uncorking of last week's episode. Um, do you think we're going to bring the energy again or think it's a bit more tame? I feel energy, a lot of energy. Energy, energy. Big energy. Oozing, oozing with oozing energy. Oozing energy. And uh, right off the rip, we're going to talk about punctuation for maybe a cool 10 to 15 minutes. We have issues with punctuation. Yeah, issues with punctuation. Uh, let's begin in the beginning um, about how this conversation started. So there is this British comedian named Richard Ayoade, probably most famous for his portrayal of Moss in the IT crowd in like the mid-2000s. He also had a show um, called Darth uh, Garth Marenghi's Fright Night, which is based upon uh, a character named Garth Marenghi, um, played by another actor, but Richard Arwadi played a character named Dean Lerner um, in this duo, in this television show. So Dean Lerner is, uh, by trade, uh, a publisher of a gentleman's pornography magazine, but he also, he publishes his <laughs> friend's Garth's book. So Garth Marenghi is a, a horror writer whose claim to fame is uh, he's written more books than he's read. <laughs> how, many, how many books has he written? I think like 10. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, uh, at one point, Dean Lerner, um, Richard Arwadi, as Dean Lerner's doing a like, talking head to camera about the editing process, and he's like, well, Garth just comes to me, and he um, he's kind of gives me manuscript, and uh, he doesn't really put punctuation in it. No punctuation No punctuation in the manuscript. So that's up to me to put the punctuation in. I don't like a lot of punctuation. <laughs> so then he says, you know, no semicolons. This is in Joyce. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, no, no dashes. This isn't French writing. <laughs> no dashes. This is not French <laughs> writing. I didn't know that Joyce was big on semicolons. Well, neither did I, but apparently he is. I well, stand. Or, or well, maybe it's perhaps a joke, but I think, you know, I think the idea is that Joyce tends to go on in his whole stream of consciousness thing. Yeah. I, I skimmed the first few pages of mm -hmm. um, Ulysses, mm -hmm. and I skimmed them because they're largely unintelligible, at least mm -hmm. to me, and I didn't see um, a single semicolon. I did see a colon mm. or two. Um, but maybe for the sake of humor, a little bit of overreaching by, by this guy. But anyhow, so punctuation, we, uh, we kind of chewed on that for a while the other night, didn't we? We did. So, um. so, so we think Joyce has uh, some sort of mm -hmm. fetish or fixation mm -hmm. on semicolons. The French like dashes? Well, that's apparently, according to this fictional uh, uh, gentleman's magazine come um, horror publisher, uh, and they do. The uh, most noble French book I've read is In Search of Lost Time, the first book, Swan's Way. Yes, and? Don't remember a lot of dashes. Remember, he, uh, you know, Marcel Proust, who wrote this book, he went on for a bit in some of these uh, sentences, but the the presence of dashes never leapt out to me. Okay. Now, what about, you've you've read some Camus? Or yeah. But Camus. Is it Camus that mm -hmm. you read? Who's the other famous French sort of existentialist guy? Uh, Sartre. Sartre, real downer. He's fine. I think okay. he'd be funny. He had a good joke. Um, he said, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon is both too early to eat. Let me repeat that. Three o'clock in the afternoon is both too early and too late to do anything. Where does that leave you? I just got to sit at home, I guess. Yeah. I mean, not so you go got to get, you gotta yeah. get the job done before three o'clock? Well, I think it's like, I mean, who's going to go to lunch at 3 p.m.? That's too late. Mm -hmm. No one's going to go to dinner at 3 p.m. It's too early. Right. Not going to go out. Just kind of stuck there. You're in right. limbo. Listening to a podcast, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so, so well, Camus. With, what about? I'm sorry. Uh, Camus. Camus and punctuation. He's very short and punchy, like okay. you know, a lot of famously, you know, mother died today. Maybe it was yesterday. That's like two sentences. Okay. That's how the stranger starts. And periods. Periods. Just boom. Bam. 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 Right. Bold like. Um, Sart. Sart. I don't remember a lot of dashes again. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I know, mean, long. I mean, you know, like dep- long sentences, depending classes, but mostly commas, not dashes. But no memorable punctuation peccadillos, if mm-hmm. you will. Now Melville, Herbert Melville, love Moby Dick fame, loves himself a colon, loves dash. A lot, really? To, really, just likes to ram them in there. Hate the dash. I, I just like the dash. <laughs> but, but you still use them. I do, uh, for reasons we don't need to discuss right <laughs> now. Um, so Cormac McCarthy, uh, I think his work is marvelous for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are times when it's difficult to follow. Uh, who's saying what because he doesn't use quotation marks or mm-hmm. attribution. Yeah, so you, you got to kind of be on your toes. I think he said like um, he finds putting punctuation in his writing busy, which some would say it's clarifying, but apparently he finds it distracting. Hmm. Well, we were uh, watching a clip from a, a Seinfeld episode in which uh, Elaine loses it over the lack of... of I guess, uh, exclamation points. Mm-hmm. In one uh, scene, um, she returns to her apartment and her boyfriend at the time, a guy named Jake, I think, maybe Jake, um, was preparing a meal and he mentioned that uh, he had taken some messages on her behalf. One from Elaine's very best friend who had a baby. Mm-hmm. Jake, I say Jake, could be so wrong about that took a message, uh, so-and-so had a baby. And Elaine uh, got a little bent out of shape because there was no exclamation point at the end of that message. I think the exclamation point, as I've said already, mm-hmm. way overused, yeah. way overused. Do you think it ever should be used? Uh, not by me. No. <laughs> okay, then, well. No, no. I, I have to say, that circling back to the dash thing, I've u- I, I do use a dash quite often, like mm-hmm. if I'm doing some sort of academic writing. To the point where, when I was writing my thesis last year, my advisor said, you have to stop using so many dashes in paragraphs. You only <laughs> she said to me, you, can, you get to use one dash in a paragraph, and that's it. <laughs> so, what do you think? Uh, it, legitimate uh, criticism? Yeah, I was using too many dashes. Now, w- w- did, did your professor say that, uh, that the alternative was to, to create two sentences rather than uh, a sentence with a dash and additional information? Or what, what's, the, what's the solution? I think she said, stop doing that. It's confusing. Just cut it Figure out. Figure something else out, yeah. Okay. Annoying, too, do you think? I don't think so. I thought it was, I thought it was just being very helpful, but evidently I was not. Was she, was she peeved? I don't know. She was annoyed. She just said, you need to stop doing this. Otherwise, people are not going to understand what you're saying. Yeah. Which would be a problem. Would be. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any... Uh, um, do you have any uh, other punctuation opinions? I mean, I'll, I'll just say one more thing about the exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Tom Wolfe, yeah. the new journalist, yeah. dead, yeah. Uh, probably could rip off five or six or ten exclamation points um, on a single page. Mm-hmm. Way too much. Way too much. Well, he had a flair for the flair. He did. The, yeah. He liked white suits. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain mm-hmm. liked White suits. He dresses like he dresses like um the Cheech in the second Godfather film. <laughs> a little bit like, yeah. He's wetting his beak right and left with exclamation points. More yeah. than wetting his beak with exclamation yeah. points. Yeah. 
So anyhow, I don't know if we have to say much more about punctuation and I think it's important. Thereof, you know. It's I think it's a small thing, but it speaks volumes about a person, like whether they use an Oxford comma or not. Um, yeah. Whether they use semicolons in their writing. Mm-hmm. Whether they split in a, use a comma splice, yeah. split an infinitive. Bad, bad comma splices. Are bad. It reveals a lot about a person. I don't have a problem so much with splitting the infinitive um, with the negative word. Um, in fact, I, sometimes I think splitting it, the inf- the infinitive. Uh, can make for a more lively sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, I guess it's a no-no. It's a bad it's thing. Not, it's, not how, it's not how um, English works by any measure. Well. I mean, obviously, it's a difference between you know, speaking to someone yes. and then writing. Right. And, and there's a difference bef- between formal English writing and journalism, dare I say. <laughs> so, anyway. What's right. next? Right there. Good start. Uh, just a solid 10 minutes on uh, punctuation marks. <laughs> I, I suspect the audience is just building by the second, right? This kind they of material um, irresistible yeah, to I mean, masses. And again, if you have some strong opinions about punctuation marks, please write into us. The email is on the page. Um, well, we talk about punctuation. Hmm. We had oh. a pretty stimulating conversation about um, the perfect meatball. Oh, it did, yeah. The spiciest you wanna, you meatball. You want to pick up that? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we were just having dinner one night and we were talking about, hey, meatballs, how do you make those? What's the best way to do it? we want to make meatballs, right? We'll make meatballs. Perfect size, I think, was one of the subjects, and I don't know what the perfect size for a meatball is. What are your thoughts? Can't be too gargantuan that it dominates the plates. Can't be the size of a softball. Yeah, I know. You, you go into these restaurants, and for the audience at home, I'm holding up a pair that's... Well, it's a good-sized pair. Right. Meatball will be this big. No, too big. Mm-hmm. I even, I'm holding up now, I'm holding up a slightly smaller apple. Yeah. Um, maybe. Too big. Too big. Um, we have no other hand fruits readily available. Well, let's think about other objects. A golf ball. I golf think ball. that's too small. I think it's too small. Tennis ball. Too large? I don't know. Lacrosse ball. Lacrosse ball? Mm, maybe. Now we're, now we're in fact, I have a, a lacrosse ball um, in... Uh, in my uh, cubby in the pantry, you you uh, uh, oh banter anyway. So you banter yeah, and I'll get the uh, lacrosse ball anyway. Also, um, so I think while we uh, zero in on the correct size, things talk about the composition of a meatball. I think traditionally it's been a three-way blend of some sort of beef, veal, and pork, with kind of a fat um, ratio of about twenty to eighty. Oh yeah, so yeah, I think that's pretty good. So I'm holding a lacrosse ball in my hand now. I see that's about appropriate. I, I think that's an acceptable size. It might be slightly bigger. What, what's between? What do we have that would uh, would uh, help listeners uh, appreciate something? Do you think the larger like, than a golf ball, but smaller than a lacrosse ball? How about the Paolo and Bocce? I think that's the perfect size. Could be. There we go. And, and what is that word? It's called Paolo. P a l l o. Means ball in Italian. Ball. And, and is that the ball you you strike or what? Yeah, it's the white one. So okay. Funnily enough, um, so Paolo is the Italian word for ball. Um, right. So the Medici, the banking family in medieval Florence. Right. Their family crest was some sort of escutcheon, mm-hmm. or shield with a series of golden balls on. 
And so their supporters, um, like when the Medici were having like a party or something, or like a festival, the supporters would run through the street to Florence and yell, Pali, Pali, Pali. Plural for Paolo. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the video balls, balls, balls mm-hmm. running through the streets. Yeah. All right. So you were about to talk about, about the ingredients or the contents of a yeah. meatball. So I think traditionally it's like a three-way combination of veal, beef, and pork. And what would be the ratios? Do you know? Uh, a third, a third, and a third. One, oh, per meatball. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then more, almost more importantly than that is kind of the fat um, content. I think quite similar to a hamburger, you, hamburger, you want like a 20-80 split between fat and meat. 20 meatball. fat, 80 meat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that is kind of the perfect size for mm-hmm. meatball. Um, excuse me, perfect fat mixture for meatball. Also for hamburger because you w- the, the fat gives it flavor, um, but it's not going to overwhelm the meat. It's not going to be you know too unctuous or greasy. Right. So, so we've decided on the size. It would be a Paolo. Yeah. We've decided on the ingredients. Um, one third, one, one third, one third, beef, pork, and uh, now veal, pork, and uh, what was the third? Beef. Well, veal is beef. Yeah, but older beef. Oh, okay. Um, what about flavorings? What, what do you flavor this with? Well, salt and pepper first off. Yeah. And when you're like, so you make what would be called in sausage making a farce, which is some sort of flavored, unpacked meat. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to use, I mean, it's probably not, so it's, you know, it's just like your ground. You, you get your stuff ground, probably by the butcher, because, you know, who's a meat grinder in their homes these days. Um, and then you put that in a bowl and then season it with salt and pepper and just let that sit for like a day to let the salt really penetrate the meat. Pepper to penetrate the meat to flavor it well. Then, in terms of other flavorings, there's a couple of different directions you could go. Um, maybe some oregano, a little hot red pepper if you want spice. Some fennel would be absolutely lovely in this, give it a nice and decent flavor. And then you get a little more adventurous, maybe some thyme, um, maybe some sage, just a little bit of a back note. So, I think what's nice about meatball, it's kind of a flexible canvas where you could go something as simple as salt and pepper in your meat mixture, but they can also highlight different qualities, kind of bring a little bit more to the party with the spices that you choose. It gives you a lot of breadth to operate in. I once knew of a person who put raisins. That's insane. In insane. Absolutely not. Unacceptable. 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 Hmm. Okay. And then how do you cook it? You, you brown them in a pan? What do you do? Well, you form them. Right. You boil them to the, about the size of a palace, we've decided. Yes. And then you have to brown them yeah. in the pan itself. And you just throw them in the pan, or do you put some oil in, or just the, the fat, the juices? You could probably just throw, I mean, given the fat content of, of that twenty eighty split, you really don't need a lot of oil, if any, to get them started. The oil that renders out of them should be more than enough. Throw them in the pan, brown them up nicely on all sides. Take them out, and then you can, you know, make a nice tomato sauce from that fat that's formed from browning the uh, meatballs. So you make the sauce, and then you toss the meatballs in, and yeah, then the for end. how long? Because they're raw except for the the browning, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, 15, 10, 15 minutes in the sauce. Point, in the sauce, yeah. Slow. Is it a, a boil or is it like burbling? What's uh, going on? Kind of an aggressive simmer. So it's it's more than a 
a burble, but less than a yeah. boil. Yeah, in between there. Okay. For about 15 minutes. About 15 minutes. And so you've got the pasta in the pot boiling away. And I have a question for yeah. you. When, when creating the perfect meatball, preparing the perfect meatball, is it acceptable to use boxed pasta or should one always use fresh pasta? I mean, I think it depends on the day of the week. You know, you could use boxed pasta. That's fine. But I also, I think traditionally you're going to serve them on the side, mm -hmm. not on the pasta itself, but next to it because it's its own name, its own second piatti, if you will. And so spaghetti and meatballs, you use a spaghetti noodle, nothing like a linguine. You could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only okay. up to the discretion of who's ever making them. Now, would the, uh, would the makeup of the meatball, um, forget about the shape, but the, 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 the three kinds of meats, the seasoning you described, could that also be used for uh, other pasta dishes, um, say if you're stuffing a pasta with meat, or sure. yeah. if you're using it for lasagna, same meat would yeah. apply, or same concoction. Yeah. Okay. So that farce we talked about can be used to really whatever you want. Like you could just even unpack, brown it out, make like a a sausage sauce. You could stuff it in a ravioli. Mm -hmm. Wanted to put on lasagna. Very flexible. You use the word farce. Yeah. And uh, what is it? What, why why that word? What does that mean in cooking so lingo? In sausage making, a farce is your meat mixture with the spices incorporated mm -hmm. before it gets cased. Got it. Yeah, so so when are we going to make the uh, perfect meatball? By Whenever way. you want to. We have to get. Th I mean, we have to buy the meat, but everything else is at the home. So yeah. Okay. Good. Look Go forward ahead. to that. Now that sounds like comfort food, and we're entering the comfort food season, I believe. You know, we're in the last week of September. Mm -hmm. Temperatures are uh, up and down, but perhaps more consistently cooler. Can you eat spaghetti and meatballs any time of the year, like the hottest day of August or July, or is it really a kind of a cool weather, autumn, winter, late winter? I think, I think you can eat them whenever the mood strikes you. I don't mm -hmm. see why you need to limit yourself just to fall. Yeah. 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 I wonder if it's underappreciated. How often do you see on um, a good Italian restaurant menu spaghetti and meatballs? Probably rarely. But yeah. then I think, that's, I think that's less to do with... I think it's more to do with like the, the stigma attached to spaghetti and meatballs where it's like... If an Italian restaurant is trying to like say we're like a high class Italian restaurant, they're not going to put spaghetti and meatballs on that because it seems like it's kind of like a common Italian dish. So like, right. you know, instead of doing like a spaghetti and meatballs, they could do a, a ragu with um, bambandelle. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more elevated, mm -hmm. a little bit more high class. There's a restaurant uh, east of us, northeast of us, that we go to an Italian restaurant, and I remember. Uh, we, we had a meal, and I think it might have, I forget whether it was lunch or dinner, but I said um, to the server, um, do you ever have chicken cacciatore? Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, no, but we could prepare it for you. I said, okay, what would that cost? Mm -hmm. And I think he said something like $28. For, and I said, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you said to the server, I want the basic traditional spaghetti and meatball dinner would they gouge you i would imagine 
Probably because it's the buying for a specific menu, or the buying the buying for the menu. So when you go off of that, you know, it probably throws up the production mm-hmm. a little so bit. It's gonna you're gonna pay the price. Yeah, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Okay. I uh, I was uh, out on the street um, the other day, and one of our neighbors, very nice young man, um, he and his wife have two babies, a son and a daughter. Uh, the son is a older. His name is Oscar. Mm-hmm. It's the first human being I've ever met mm-hmm. by the name of Oscar. What about you? Probably. I can't I can remember an o- think of an Oscar off the top of my head that I've met in the flesh. Right, right. We know of Oscars. We know of Oscars. We know of many Oscars. We in do. Fact, <laughs> in fact, we're going to get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to really have at it. Um, it's an interesting name, and... Uh, not not a terrible name, but unusual. Unusual, yeah. You remember an Oscar, like you know, a Brad, a John, a Steve, a dime a dozen, but an Oscar. Yeah, Todd. Todd, yeah. I don't like the name Todd. It, it, it just not as a personal person. experience, or um, no, I don't know. The George Carlin does a, a skit on the name Todd, and I, I think he nailed it. But anyhow. So let's talk about, so we know Baby Oscar from, baby the, Oscar. Baby Oscar from the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, the, the, I guess the, the world is full of prominent Oscars. It uh, is. When you start looking for them, they're, yeah. they appear everywhere. So uh, I, I mentioned to you that I, I, I Baby Oscar, the first human um, by the name of Oscar. I have a friend who... Uh, who once had um, a white, I'll say, albino German shepherd by the name of Oscar. Mm -hmm. It's a dog, dog. obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the German shepherd gave that away. Yeah. Uh, What about Oscars that that you can think of that come to mind? Um, Well, right off the top, uh, Oscar Madison with The Odd Couple. Of course. Played by Walter Matthau. Right. And then in the TV show, which was quite fun, Mm -hmm. uh, Jack, what was that fellow's name? Hmm. Anyhow, yes, Oscar Madison, the sports writer, mm-hmm. the odd couple. Well, to math, though, uh, related to punctuation, famous for spelling words. He is very famous. I, I have a, a, a short and probably insignificant story I'll tell you about that. Uh, this goes back decades ago. I was, uh, I was in J school, and um, uh, family visited, uh, brother and, and his wife, and... Uh, um, stayed in Washington, and uh, th- there was a movie being shot um, somewhere in, I guess, Washington, maybe Georgetown. I think it was Georgetown. And the movie's called uh, First Monday in October, I believe, um, which has to do with the Supreme Court. And uh, Walter Matthau was one of the justices. Um, and uh, there was a scene being shot, and Walter Matthau was over on the side, I guess, rehearsing or memorizing his lines, doing something. And so I went over to him. I knew he was a famous expert speller. I said to him, um, I wanted him to spell a word. And uh, I gave him the word, and he said to me, uh, I have not seen the word, and I never try to spell a word I have not seen. 
and that was the end of the conversation. So yeah, as I said, brief and insignificant, but you know, my brush with celebrity. So yeah, Oscar yeah. Madison, who Oscar else? Madison. Do you know any other Oscars? Oh, Oscar Wilde. Um, oh, great writer. Uh, British writer. Irish, of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Irish? I, Irish descent. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You won't um, hold it against him. No, no. But yeah. write the uh, picture of Dorian Gray. Mm -hmm. Probably among other things. Yeah, yeah, he's got some other biggies. I remember, um, quick side note, my own, you were supposed to read the portrait of Dorian Gray in my freshman English class. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my only uh, knowledge of Oscar Wilde. Other than that, that uh, Stephen Fry, the comedian, played him right. in a biopic. Well, what about the uh, the importance of being earnest? Oh, I think that's it. That's another. Oh, big, yeah, the play. play, big one, play, big, big uh, Oscar play, big play. Yeah. Um, but what about Oscar the Grouch? Oscar you know about Grouch. Oscar the Grouch? Yeah, Sesame Street. Yeah, it's another biggie. A cantankerous individual. Was he? Or I guess he still is. Are they still making Sesame Street? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Kids uh, like it. Adults like it. Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya, the boxer, the pugilist. Uh, Oscar Robertson. Uh, yeah, the great basketball player. Yeah. The big O, the first player to average a triple-double in a full season. Is that so? Yeah. Now, has it been done since? It must yeah, have, uh, right? Russell Westbrook, of when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, did it two seasons, uh, two or three seasons in a row. Westbrook? Huh? Yeah. Is he still playing? Yeah, he plays for the Rockets now. Is he on the bench or is he active? No, he's, he's active. No. Hmm. Uh, Oscar II of Sweden. Sweden. Another big Oscar. No, nothing about him. Other Indeed. than he's the king of Sweden. Yeah, or was. <laughs> or was. Oh, he's, he's dead now. He's dead, gotta be. Cause His birthday he, is 1829. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he's figured something out, something out, something that we don't know about. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. Uh -huh. So anyhow, I'm curious. Would you name a child or a pet Oscar? Sure. Why? That's fun. Do, do you as, as you said yourself, it's not a bad name. It's not a bad name, but you wonder if there's a stigma. Is there a stigma against Oscars? I don't know the name. Is, do you think it's it's a little too non-mainstream? I don't think so. It's not like naming your child Apple or something. People know Oscars, clearly. We just listed several of them off. Yeah, yeah. Did we mention Oscar Peterson, the jazz pianist? We did not. Another big Oscar. I feel Oscars is a good name to yell. You think so? I think so. I have this recollection, we can Google it, that some character, and maybe it was a reference, oh, I know it, that the name of the actor who portrayed uh, Oscar Madison in the show Mm-hmm. Jack Klugman, mm. and and uh, and the guy who played um, Felix Unger, yeah. Finicky, Finicky Felix, uh -huh. um, in the movie Jack Lemon, of course we yeah. all know that. In the show, uh, Tony Randall. Okay, so neither yeah. of them Oscars. <laughs> I got it. Oh, uh, Oscar Martinez, the accountant from The Office. Wow! Yes. Good for you. Mm -hmm. I think on that rather amazing note, should we move on and just stop talking about Oscars yes. and the name Oscar? I think, yeah, sure. Okay. I don't think there's a stigma attached to Oscars. I mean, no, it's not huh? like it's Adolf or anything. Like you, you don't think you don't think a, a, a young man would be ostracized by the name Oscar? No, no. I mean, okay. I, I don't. You know, maybe there's a lack of creativity on my part, but I don't see any obvious cruel pun with the name Oscar. Nothing repugnant Nothing about repugnant, it. Nothing repugnant, no. Okay. No, no terrible, I mean, you know, I'm maybe speaking too soon, but no terrible people, notable terrible dictators of a name Oscar. Right, right. So, you know, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, NBA. NBA. 
So we're recording this on the Sunday, the Sunday after the Lakers finished off the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. And uh, looking pretty good? Looking very good. They're lo- very good. I mean, it, you know, it does help that they have two of the, probably the five best players in the NBA on their team in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. LeBron was incredible in the fourth quarter last night. Was he? Yeah, just rises to the occasion. Rises to the occasion. I mean, yeah. you know. He is 35 years old, so he can't dominate a whole game in the way that he did, say, in 2012. But Just hasn't got the oomph? Yeah, but he can still be simply a transcendent player. In short, like, for like five minutes in the fourth quarter, he's, you could not stop him anymore. So he's, he's still capable of it. I don't think he's just capable of it for whole games or series. But he has Anthony Davis to help him out, so it's not much of an issue as it may be. So 60 minutes in, in a, a ball game, 48, four, 48 412-minute quarters. Mm-hmm. LeBron's on the court for about 35 minutes every game? 35 to 40 every game. And he's 35 years old. Mm-hmm. Where has his game started to, to, to show his age? He just, he just gets tired more quickly. He can't. You know, like earlier in his career, he would just relentlessly attack the basket because he was just For stronger. Minutes. Yeah, stronger, better athlete than everybody. Mm-hmm. Now um, he's more reticent to do that, so he'll slow the game down more. Pace himself. Pace himself. Take more three pointers. Um, also, I think you know, just with the experience of playing, he's a much smarter player than he was eight to ten years ago, which helps him greatly. So he. His control over the game is not as physical as it once was. It's more intellectual, where he's outthinking players more than he's dominating physically. Though he could still dominate physically, just not as much, just as not as much as he used to do. So they're in the finals. Yeah. Uh, tonight, existential game for the Celtics. Yes. So the Celtics uh, staved off elimination on Friday night with the win against the Miami Heat in Game Five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Tonight is Game Six. They are down three-two. And Friday's game was less than a perfect performance by the Celtics. Yes and no. They started out poorly, but in the second half, they just domi- took apart the heat. Mm. And I think it's that's kind of the, been the, the tale of this series where for Miami to win a game, they have to play perfect basketball for 48 minutes. And for three times this uh, series, they've pretty much done that. And the Celtics have helped them out as well. But when the Celtics get clicking, they can't be stopped by the heat at least. They're just on another plane from them. And I mean, you can see this. Miami's three games, they've won by a co- combined total of 11 points. The Celtics' two games, they've won by a combined total of 24. Celtics have taken double-digit leads over the heat in four out of the five games. Problem is, they've kind of shot themselves in their own foot. And so they've turned the ball over a lot. They've made sloppy passes. And you know, credit to the heat, they've had a great game plan maximize their potential, really giving the Celtics a difficult time. But when the Celtics are clicking, when they're playing crisp defense, when they're on offense, they're pushing pushing the pace, very, the Heat has no answer for them. Has this been the history of the Celtics to be a little inconsistent tight throughout the season, or is this uh, some sort of playoffs phenomenon? It's just been like these last three game, last five games where it's been most noticeable. Excuse me. Yeah. I had to sneeze. 
Yeah, this has been the most pronounced. Um, there's been ebbs and flows during the regular season, but that I think it is the nature of the regular season. It's 82 games over seven to eight months. You know, you can't be consistent across all of it. There's going to be ups and downs. So this this will be posted after the fact, but briefly, what do the Celtics need to do tonight to even up the series? Well, it starts on defense, as it always does. The Celtics need to need to force Miami to make difficult shots. Um need to play good transition defense, and they can't foul the Heat so that they don't give them any easy points. The Heat are a great shot-making team, but you have to force them to make those shots to win the game. Um, and uh, with the defense does, if they're you know forcing turnovers, forcing misses, lets them get into offense. So they get into the fast break, kind of accelerated pace, which prevents Miami from setting up its defense, gets open baskets, good for them. And then also, um, they need to move the ball more. Um, the Celtics have the ability to play five players who all can score at all three levels of the court and create their own shot for each other. They need to take the, use that to their advantage. I mean, at times, um, what happens is they just slow the game down and they play this really plodding isolation play where the greatest strength is the pace that they can play at and the ability to move the ball between these five great scores. Right. So they need to take advantage of that. And when they've leveraged that, when they play with pace, when they've moved the ball, when they've really stretched Miami's defense, they've dominated them. And when they've been reticent, when they've played this plotting isolation style, it's failed them. So, And then also, uh, play smart. Avoid turnovers, avoid cheap fouls. Because that's really what's been sinking them mm-hmm. over the last few games. So let's assume uh, that the Celtics even things up this yeah. evening. Uh, game seven it would be when- Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Right. Okay. And then when would the finals start? Probably a day or two days after that. Okay. Yeah. So how how are the players holding up uh, in the bubble these days? I think it's it's incredibly difficult for them. Um, Affecting their games, do you think? Yes and no. Um, there's been a lot of an- analytical research and an- analysis of like what the bubble's been doing to play. Um, Teams across the board have been shooting much better, or shooting noticeably better um, from the floor that they have during the regular season. Um, people have given different reasons for this. Um, early in the bubble play, there was a tremendous amount of fouling, but that seems to have tailed off. So the basketball has been incredibly good. Um, I think what we're realizing more and more is just the psychological toll, the emotional toll that being in the bubble is taking on these players, where they are. They can't really leave the campus um, for the first few months of this uh, bubble. They were isolated from their families, the families they're now. And then also, um, the, you know, one of the key uh, motivating factors behind having this bubble was a platform to advocate for racial justice and societal change in light of the continued police brutality against unarmed black people in the United States. I mean, that was a key part of all these players. Return to action. In fact, um, at one point they went on strike in the first round in late August, I believe, uh, because they felt that it just, they felt a number of things. I think it was exhaustion, I think frustration at being in the bubble, not being able to help, that their message wasn't coming across. And so I think, you know, these things in the world that are happening, these injustices, these systematic injustices being brought against African Americans for the past 400 years that have not been solved has been weighing heavily upon them and it's been accelerated by the very stressful environment they have in the bubble. Um, Did you say how many years? 400, 400 years? 400 years. Yeah, right, since the settlement. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so 
that has been, I think, the the hardest part of this whole thing, and kind of the most for the league and for the players. I mean, we all thought that the coronavirus, like people getting sick, there being infection, was going to be the greatest challenge. But in fact, it's really been the psychological toll that this bubble has brought on these players, mm-hmm. and it's not going to happen again. Um, the Players Association League have made very clear that there will not be another bubble situation going into the 2021 season. Which and means if there's no vaccine and the virus is still life-threatening and killing people, there will be no season at all? It could be. Um, it's very up in the air about when the next season will start, either probably in March or February, depending upon treatment options available to um, the public. Okay, well, let's circle back and talk about uh, the finals. Mm-hmm. Let's assume for the purposes of conversation that the Celtics um, uh, go to the finals. Um, how do they match up against the Lakers? It's the same problem that every team has, that how do you stop LeBron James and Anthony Davis? And the Celtics have you know, a series of big athletic wings that can slow LeBron down to a certain extent, but they still have no answer for Davis, and really no team does, because he's this powerful big who can stretch the floor, handle the ball, shoot from distance. He's an incredible player. However, conversely, um, the Lakers could have trouble stopping Boston's offense as well. They really don't match up well against what uh, Boston can put on the floor. Having said that, I think that the Lakers are the favorites to win the title, either if the Heat or Boston goes through in the East. Um, LeBron just seems incredibly determined to win. He's got an incredible second player, and the supporting cast for the Lakers is really stepping up in a big way for them. So whoever faces the Lakers, uphill battle? Very much so. Okay. Well, we'll know. know, In in a seven-game series, LeBron James can still be the best player in the world. He is, it's a cliche, but he's a game changer. He's a game, he's the ultimate game changer. And then you have Anthony Davis as well, who's a second option. So it can't be done, but it would be incredibly difficult to do. Okay. All right. Um, Anything any else you want to get to? thoughts before we wrap up Let's this look afternoon? The rundown. Um, oh, oh, the birds with the raccoon. The, yes. Thank yes. you for reminding me about the raccoon. Do you want to talk? Um, Tell our vast and growing uh, listening audience about the uh, bird feeder configuration in the backyard. Yeah, so there, we have a swing set from our childhood that's pretty much lying dormant for the past, I would say, almost 10 years. Um, anyway, recently we bought some extra bird feeders um, to hang from where the swings would hang. in yeah, the, the beam. Uh, the beam. And so one of them is composed of these kind of cakes, almost, of yeah. various types of bird food that kind of... Excuse me. Stack on each other in layers. Yeah, sort of like a spike with a hook on it that that uh, hangs from yeah. a swing set. Uh-huh. Anyway, so birds seem to be enjoying it. Then one morning you found something. I did. I was looking out the back door um, one morning last week, and I noticed that the the top of the three cakes hanging from this spike-like hook um, from from the swing set was removed and presumably carried uh, across the beam and perfectly placed on edge. It was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And so I told management about this and uh, maybe, you know, a little paranoid um, or a little bit into conspiracies, but um, concluded that 
Only a human being could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, remove the cake and then uh, place it at the end of this beam where the swings hang from. And some management said, oh, no, no, no. I, I thought it was one of one of the neighborhood boys being a little mischievous. mischievous. Turns out um, that management believes that's a raccoon mm-hmm. and, and told me that raccoons can be quite dexterous. Mm-hmm. I was... Um, a little doubtful about that, um, but I uh, I asked um, a farmer, a fellow who's a new farmer, who seems to know something about the outdoors, about this. And I said, you know, human or raccoon? And he immediately said, a raccoon. He said, you'd be surprised with a ra- what a raccoon raccoon can do with its paws. Um, so I've got my eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. I'm on it. I'm going to be tracking it. Tracking it. And if it happens again, I'm probably going to have to call the local authorities, mm-hmm. whether it be animal control or someone from the detective uh, squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are your thoughts, human or raccoon? I think uh, why would a person do that is, you know, what motivation do they have to do something so seemingly innocuous? Right. It's weird. But with enormous precision. Yeah. Uh, Human-like precision, Yeah. seems to me. Sure. I mean, raccoons are not dumb. I don't know much about raccoons. I think they're relatively intelligent animals. Mm-hmm. I feel like why would a, I mean? So why would a person come into the backyard and they're like, "Oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rearrange these bird feeders and then leave only one bird feeder, That's one true. part of one bird feeder, and then put it on top of a swing set and then and, leave." And it, it was done at night or yeah. somewhat in the dark. I guess raccoons are nocturnal. I would imagine they they do their business at night. Yeah, the cloak of darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think the rac. I think the raccoon thing is probably more likely. Yeah. I wonder if raccoons are uh, underestimated and therefore undervalued in the animal kingdom. I don't know. No. I really don't know. Yeah. Well, why don't you think about it, maybe talk to some specialists, and we'll do part two on this whole raccoon business. We'll keep you up to date on the raccoon watch. Yeah. 2K20. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know any uh, famous raccoons by name? No, none name. No. Well, there's Rocky, Rocky Raccoon. Rocky Raccoon of the right. Beatles song. Yeah. Which, was that really a raccoon? I don't know. I don't think so. Who can I mean, does it matter? Probably. It just it's one of the matter. worst songs of the White Album. Is it really? I think so. I don't like it. Is that a, a Ringo composition or just kind of throw it I out think it's, it's something that, like Paul was like, oh, I, yeah, here gotta you go. Got to get Ringo involved in some what? sort of solo here. deal. Ringo's here. You <laughs> You want to talk briefly about yeah, Ringo? I'm going to defend Ringo. I think Ringo oh, is, he's perfectly fine. He Everybody's like, oh, Ringo, he's, he's bad. Like, no, he wrote some okay songs. Don't Pass Me By, that's a really good song. Yeah. Who now, um, what about, there's another good, magnificent Beatles song that Ringo sang lead on, at the very least. Um, we All Live in a Yellow Submarine. Yeah, Yellow Submarine. Did he write that or did they, he, again, give it to him? He wrote that. He wrote it. He wrote Octopus's Garden. Fun song. Ringo likes to have fun, and he should have fun. He's right, and he should say it. Okay. So did, but... Not, not everything needs to be happy. I mean, not happy is a gun. Incredible song. Right, right. Yeah. Or Hey Jude. Hey Jude, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be groundbreaking. Right, right. It can be whimsical. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point of entertainment, yeah. right? Yeah. I saw this... Uh, there's a, this YouTube comedian named Gus Johnson. He did this sketch about the Beatles where he's like, Wow. Like he got some friends together, then like they finished the chord. He's like, "Wow, that's one of the most beautiful songs ever written." <laughs> and they're like, "Now for one of the dumbest songs ever written." <laughs> so you you don't care for Rocky Raccoon? Don't care for Rocky Raccoon. Okay. Oh, but what about there's another 
No, no, no. Rocket J. Squirrel is, you know, Rocky so, the Squirrel. Yeah. Not a raccoon. Not a raccoon. He's a squirrel. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Was there, I keep on, I mean, I understand why I thought the Hamburglar is a raccoon, but he's not a raccoon. I don't know, but isn't there, uh, maybe, is there a U.S. Park Service or, or What's Smokey the Bear? Not Smokey, but isn't there Ricky, Ricky Raccoon or Ricky? I don't think so. No, Ricky yeah. Raccoon? I doubt it. Okay. Well, Google it. again, you know, the uh, the massive li- listening yeah, audience uh, can certainly. Um, if you um, know any notable raccoons, please write yeah, to us. Yeah, by name. Oh, so Ricky the Raccoon. Is there a Ricky? Let's find out. No, it's just Rocky Raccoon, the song. Okay. How about um, raccoons with names? Can you Google that quickly? Uh, Otherwise, you do named we're just, raccoons. We're, you know, the audience is peeling off pretty quickly. Named raccoons. Um, apparently, there's a raccoon from Pocahontas named Miko. Miko? Oh, Rocket uh, from Marvel, Guardians Rocket. of the Galaxy. All right, so Rocket, and, and did you say Miko? Yeah, apparently from Pocahontas. Pocahontas. So that's Rocky, Miko, and and what was the other name? Um, Ricky, Rocky, Miko, Rocket, Rocket, Rocket. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, well this is going nowhere fast. So should right. we just cut hey, it off? Pressure wrap it up. All right. Um, good episode. Good episode. Can't wait to do the next. All right. Talk to you guys later.